What does your use of money say about you, about the state of your heart? If you're familiar with Luke's record of Jesus' teaching, this is not a new question. It's, it's something that has been going on. Where, where is your heart? Where is your treasure? Where are your values? What do you value? How is your heart different? How is your life different than the lives of people around you, than the secular world around you? What do you work for? But it's not, just, it's not just a question of money, is it? It's not just a question of how much money or what money is there. It's a question of the heart. Is the service that you render for Christ, is the life that you lead, one that is done out of love and devotion and faith in Him, in Christ? Or is it one that reflects religiousness or religiosity, if you will, that is intended to scratch in a religious itch, to appear religious. Who do you desire to benefit in, in your life? Who is it that you desire most to please? I, I knew a fellow once, I actually worked for him, uh, he, uh, he claimed to be a believer. He was, uh, like many modern uh, Christians, uh, did not really attend church that often. It wasn't, it wasn't his thing to go to church. He knew very little of the Bible. He was ignorant of Scripture, even of basic theology. And that's fairly standard in our day. It's fairly normal for that to be the case, not really knowing the basics of Christianity, not knowing the basics of the Bible. But he claimed to be a believer. and But we had a number of, of run-ins uh, with each other because uh, he, he was, uh, for one thing, he was extremely inappropriate towards women. And uh, so just the way that he carried himself around women was, did not speak well of the state of his soul. At one point, he told me that I needed to leave Jesus out of his office and not bring that stuff along with me. And at that same, in that same conversation, he told me that uh, I didn't need to worry about the state of his soul. If I only knew how much money he gave to the church, then I would be impressed with his loyalty to God. Just don't bring Jesus into the workplace don't apply that to the other things I do during the week, but just look to the amount of money that I've given to the church and you will see that God is actually quite pleased with me. Outward devotion, external giving, there is something there. But what was there? Was he actually pleasing to God in that, in giving those (coughs) funds to the church? Jesus is not concerned so much about these outward dollar amounts, external religious behavior, as he is about your heart. 
For one thing, we cannot forget Scripture. If the gentleman had uh, read his Bible, if he'd looked into it, he would see that what he said was not, it was, was not in accordance with Scripture. It wasn't consistent with Jesus' teaching. Jesus says here very, he demonstrates here very specifically how little stock he puts in this large giving from someone who, who gives out of their wealth. So the first point this morning is don't put your Bible down. Don't put your Bible down. It's, it's something that, uh, that we often do is to find a verse that, that sounds like it teaches something and then close the Bible and move on. So we've got that teaching. Now we can apply it to our lives and we don't need to read the rest of it. Our minds are quick to forget quick to construct our own doctrines, our own ideas of what sounds biblical, and we might base it on a scripture verse, but it's a structure that we've created for ourselves. It's more of our personal opinions, our personal creation, than it is what God teaches us. And here it's important for you to get the context, to pay attention to the context of this passage in particular, because this passage can be misused, just like the passage concerning the, uh, the rich young ruler can be misused and misapplied. Interestingly enough, it can be misapplied in such a way that it teaches exactly the opposite of what Jesus is getting at here, and I'll get to that in a moment. But just like the catchphrase in the real estate world is location, 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 here... In scripture, when you're reading, it's context, context, context. So let's remind ourselves of what the context is. Jesus has been teaching the Pharisees. He's been, they've been trying to trip him up. They've been trying to trick him. They, don't want, they want the governor to come and take him away. They want him taken off of uh, their turf, so to speak. They, he's been teaching in the temple. And they've been doing everything they can to stump him on theological and political issues so they can get him out of the picture. Jesus continued bearing with them and teaching them. He teaches them out of the Psalms something that they had never noticed, apparently. That the Messiah who was to come, as we looked at last week, the Messiah who was to come wasn't just going to be David's son, he was going to be David's Lord. In fact, the way that David states it in Psalm 110, in the way that Jesus poses the question, he sets Lord as the prominent figure. The question isn't how can he just, just how can he be David's son and David's Lord, but how can Lord, David's Lord be his son as well? And then he adds on the, the end here, at the, we just read that at the end of chapter 20, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes. They look so religious. They look so good. They look like they they can talk like Bible teachers. They know the scriptures. They go around and they have long prayers. They have eloquent prayers. Look, look at them, how religious they are. And yet, and he turns it in a breath. 
who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. The greatest condemnation goes to those who pretend to be followers of Scripture and are not. They're self-serving. So, external pretense of religion, internal corruption. And then what follows this passage? So, what is the context on either side? What follows this passage? The temple. The beauty of the temple. Look what it says there in verse uh, 5. Some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings. There you have both the, the physical beauty of it and the, and the religious practice, the worship that's going on there. The beauty and the, and the elegance of it. It's a beautiful building. They're doing religious things there. It's Externally, it seems religious. And, but just like the Pharisees and the religious leaders that were externally religious, seemed to be pleasing to God, seem to be biblical, and yet there is corruption there, and it is destined for destruction. Just like the Pharisees, just they were receiving the great condemnation, and Jesus says the temple is also destined to be, dis- uh, be destroyed. One stone will not be left on another. And so this, this uh, story of the widow is actually sandwiched in between two Uh, Things that talk about external religion that is destined to come to an end. Both the religious leaders and the temple are going to be replaced. It's not just that it's going to be destroyed and that's it, just there's nothing left. No, it's all going to be replaced. All be replaced in the person of Christ, the imperfect replaced by the perfect, the shadow replaced by the reality, the temporary replaced by the eternal. And so the priesthood and the temple and all of it is going to be replaced in Christ. And now you come to this widow. Jesus is still there in the temple. He's standing in the outer courtyard there. There's been the court of women and they had a row of, of money boxes. They were sort of trumpet-shaped things, almost like a large vase. Uh, and people would come and put their, their uh, gifts in there. They were each labeled the different gifts that you could give. And uh, people were coming by. And if you look to uh, Mark's account of this, he said that the rich were coming and dumping in large amounts of money. And so you can just imagine the noise and the fanfare. If somebody brings a big heavy bag of coins and you can see there, that is a large heavy bag of coins and you can hear all the coins falling into the, into the coffer and, and say, wow, that is really going to help the temple. That is, that's going to make a dent in the, the priestly salaries. That's going to help. That's going to do something. That is a godly man. Look at that. Then comes this widow woman. There would have been many people coming and putting in their money, putting in their offerings and play, so to speak. And there's this woman. She doesn't even have a name here that's given. She's just this anonymous widow. In extreme poverty. Poverty like you have never seen in the United States. She comes... She puts in two coins. 
These are worthless coins, really. They're little copper coins worth less than our pennies, which are so worthless at this point that the government's been talking about getting rid of the penny altogether because it has so little value. She brings these two small copper coins and puts them in. Nobody would notice that. Nobody would look at that and say, wow, that is a generous gift. That is, that's incredible. Just think of how much this is going to do for the, for the temple budget this year. Nobody's going to take notice of that. But she gives it, and Jesus here takes note of her because she's giving all she has. She had two copper coins. She didn't even keep one of them for herself. She gave everything. It was an act of pure devotion and faith. If the rich young ruler had, when Jesus told him to give away all he had, if if he had given away his millions, if he'd emptied his bank account and sold his real estate and his stocks and gotten rid of his vacation homes and If he'd given it all away, he would not have given more than this woman gave. We look on the external things. We look to the dollar signs. God looks on the heart. Now, we can tend to take passages like this, and we, we, we love sort of a shopping list of religion. What is it going to take for me to be a God-pleasing person. Let me get the checklist, and I'll, I'll go down the list, I'll check it off, and then I'll be done. So how, how much money is it going to take for me to be a godly person? What, what, what's, let's just get this out of the way, and then I can do that, and I can be done, and I can have checked off my list of godliness. So we can take a passage like this and say, okay, well, is... Jesus must be saying that we should give away everything that we have and become poor like this woman, and then God will be pleased with us. But is that that what the rest of Scripture says? Remember, context, context, context. We we don't just cherry-pick Scriptures. And what something like that can do, a simplistic reading of this, can either make us callous, to the reality of what Jesus is saying, so that we just say, well, that's unrealistic, so I'm just going to ignore it. Or it can drive to unrealistic desires for for godliness based on the works that we do. Jesus isn't saying material things are inherently evil and ought to be all given away. Jesus doesn't say here that people who make more money, who are middle class or upper middle class or upper class, he doesn't say that they are evil, does he? Because when we begin to say, okay, well, just give me the numbers. I want the numbers on what it takes to be a godly person. Then we can start looking at, okay, well, what kind of a salary is godly and what kind is ungodly? What type of a car makes me a godly Christian and and what kind of a car makes me an ungodly Christian? Because we can do that. We can go to that place very quickly. We like that. 
We like lists and charts and, and the, the five steps to being a complete Christian. We want to just see, okay, what, what is it going to take? And then we can start looking around at other people and saying, well, that pastor drives a late model car that has 50,000 miles on it. He must be worldly. And, and this other pastor over here, he, he drives an old beater pickup with rust on it and 250,000 miles. He must be a godly man. We like to look on the outward things. We like to look and, and try to find something. And so we look at, well, this person wears secondhand clothes. Isn't that more righteous in sacrificing and giving? Maybe, maybe not. There are passages that if you just cherry pick the passages, they look like it teaches Christian poverty as godliness. That we should just get rid of the things of this world and become poor ourselves. We talked about the rich young ruler. Or you could think of of the rich man in Lazarus. The rich man who ignored Lazarus and had plenty in this life and then in hell he lifts up his eyes. And Lazarus who had nothing of the good things in this world then is in Abraham's bosom in comfort. We can look to the life of Jesus. The foxes have holes. The birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Maybe we should be like Jesus in that. Is it more righteous to be homeless? There have been many instances of this in church history. I was uh, just reading a, a story about one of the, uh, the great mendicant monks, one of the beggar monks, uh, Francis, Francis of Assisi, and just one of the, the big names in that. And he was this, uh, I mentioned him last week, he's the son of a, a wealthy textile merchant. And he lived in luxury. He's a Roman Catholic young man. And they, they were part of the church. And he had a conversion experience. And he was convicted that he ought not to care about wealth. And, and that he ought to be building up the church. And, and taking, he thought, helping with church buildings. That's, that's what he ought to do. And so then he sold his father's fabric and to raise money for the church. And his dad was pretty upset about him selling off section of his inventory and giving it away so he his father took him before a bishop for theft and it was this messy situation and then at that point Francis denounced his father he said he's not my father anymore God is my father and then went on to live in poverty he ignored the clear teaching of scripture in favor of something that sounded religious I have no doubt that he intended well in this, but he had ignored other parts of Scripture in order to get to his religion of poverty. It sounded biblical. And this sort of, uh, this sort of a thing, is, it's, uh, it's not just in the old days, but there's, there's a book, uh, for, I think first published in 1979, and it's been published... A number of times since then, republished, and the, the author is still writing to this day, uh, called Rich Christians in an Age of Poverty. 
And there he, he, has, he has some numbers. He says that there shouldn't be any such thing as poverty in a world where, there's, where Christians have money. And, and so then he puts, sets some numbers out for how much Christians ought to, uh, ought to make. And I, I heard it, uh, a number of years ago, I was, I was at a, a Bible study in Alaska, and, and a young man was asking questions about this. I believe he'd been reading that book and began asking questions. He wanted to follow Jesus, and he said, should I be, is it wrong for me to have money? Is it wrong for me to have a home for my family, have all these worldly things? I want to follow Jesus. And this man over here says that that's the right way of righteousness, to be poor. Of course, if you dig a little bit farther that in Scripture, that's not what we see. We're actually supposed to be generous and give and help the poor. And if you yourself are poor, how are you going to give? In fact, it, it, it all starts unraveling rather quickly. If you look at the, old, the mendicant orders, the beggar monks, they gave away everything that they had. And so then they became dependent on everyone else who was working and had jobs and, and they went around trying to get other people's money because they didn't have any of their own. If you look to the scriptures, you see that if anyone is not willing to work, he ought not to eat. We're given a theology of labor. We're given a theology of private property. You shall not steal. You shall not covet what other people have. Even Paul instructs the thief that thieves no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Jesus instructs him to give to the needy out of love for God, not to be seen by men. It is the love of money, Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, that is the root of all sorts of evil. It is love towards the money. Think of what God did for Israel. When they left Egypt, he gave them the wealth of Egypt. When he instructed his tabernacle to be built, he instructed it to be lavishly furnished with gold and fine linen. God is not opposed to wealth. He's not opposed to things that are nice. He himself uses it, so we have to be careful in our theology not to begin uh, doing something that sounds religious and then ends up making other parts of Scripture contradictory. It can be a misuse. It can even be a lazy use of, of handling Scripture. And it often ends... I find, in either causing the person and people to see, as, as happened with this book there's uh, uh, that I was talking about earlier, that where it really ends up being more of a, a left-wing political ideology, a socialist political ideology, than it is really about pleasing God. And that's where that author has gone. It's very left-wing political. And it, his views and his writings line up perfectly with the left wing of the political side of the, in the United States. And then people can see through that. Well, that's not Christianity. In fact, the political uh, is higher than 
the religious. And so then they can see through that. And then the political side, the secular side, becomes higher in their estimation than the church. Or we can just simply ignore what Scripture says, and that is a problem. We ought not to become callous to what God has given us, what God teaches us. In fact, if we just say, let's all become poor, we ought to give away a certain percentage, what does that do? It creates a legalistic system in which we are trusting in our giving away of things for salvation. We point, is that the man I talked about earlier, point to that and say, God is pleased with me because I gave this amount of money. God must be pleased with me because I drive a car with this many miles on it. It's a legalistic system that has nothing to do with the teaching of Christ. In fact, it is much much more closely linked to the Pharisees. It's just Phariseeism with a different dollar sign on it. It's an external religion, and we cannot do that. This is what Jesus is speaking against. External religion, whether it's a large amount of money or a small amount of money, an external religion, a trust in things, in what you can do, is against the Christian gospel. This isn't about dollar amounts. It's about your love, your faith in God. But you must look to your heart and not to your wallet. Look at what this woman does. It should should sting your conscience a bit. What she does here in this quiet, this... Just she receives only a few sentences here of recognition, but here here is the God man standing back with his disciples in a break from his teaching, and he observes this woman very quietly coming up without fanfare. Nobody's going to be blowing trumpets or writing her a thank you card. It would cost more to buy the thank you card than what she put in. Anonymous, it isn't for men, it's for God. And she gives everything that she has. All she had to live on. She has nothing left in this world. This should sting like alcohol in an open wound to your conscience. What have you given For God. What have you done? What have you sacrificed? See, that's one of the problems with coming up with these these sort of a legalistic system and applying these scriptures into a legalistic system is it takes away the sting of what is actually being said here. What have you sacrificed? God deals with each person where they're at at, at, and with what he gives them. What talents has he given you? Yes, what money has he given you? What abilities has he given you? And how have you used those for him? 
Does your sacrifice reflect your love for God? Jesus, the God-man, said the Son of Man has not come to be served, which is his right. We're his creatures, we ought to serve him. He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He didn't have money, he didn't have land holdings. In his earthly ministry, he didn't have a place to lay his head. What he had was the clothes on his back and his life. And he gave it all. His clothes gambled off as he hung on the cross. His life is what he gave so that you might be saved. How have you shown love in return? He gave everything for you. He laid aside the glory that was rightfully his. And he came, was ridiculed, and lied about, and mistreated, and people treated him, these Jewish leaders treated him like he was beneath their level of intelligence. As though they could stump the Son with their questions. For this woman, the dollar amount is immaterial to Christ. It doesn't matter. It's the state of her heart. She was giving everything to her God. Jesus here, as I said earlier, this is the context here is to set aside an external show of religion. And actually just trying to get, make, it, make it so that other people see you and say, that's a good Christian person. That's someone who's really serving God and, and, and looking on the outward things. But where is your heart? Do you love God? Do you serve Him beyond what is comfortable? Beyond what is, what is easy for you? These, these, these rich Jews here were giving, he says, out of their excess. The rich ones who were coming in, Mark says, they're they giving a lot. They're giving large bags of coins and much silver, much gold for the treasuries. But it was out of their excess. It wasn't any sacrifice. It was for men to see, to hear the clinking of the coins and say, wow, that is a godly person. What a devoted person. Look how God has blessed them financially. Is that how you live? For other people to see what a religious person you are. Do you love Christ? Do you love him enough to sacrifice for him? What is God's view of the state of your heart? Notice that the woman is is not here complaining and making excuses. She just gives. What did it say just in the in, in the verse just before this? 
that the Jewish leaders, these rich Jewish leaders who have plenty of money, it says they devour widows' houses. The leaders of the church they took for themselves from even the poor. They devour widows' houses. And here you have a widow without a house. She could have looked at that and said, look at these religious leaders. I'm not going to that place. They need to buy something for me. They were the ones that made me poor in the first place. They devoured widows' houses. She could have, we would have forgiven her if she'd used excuses like that and not wanted to put in her money there at the place where those hypocritical religious leaders were. Those are the very people that may have made her into the penniless widow she was. But she didn't offer excuses. She didn't come complaining, God, you made me like this. You you should have given me more. Why don't I have more? I would give you a lot if you had first given to me more. But even in her poverty, she doesn't show ingratitude. She's not making excuses. She comes to the place of worship and she gives to her God because it is her duty before Him, because she loves her God. What about you? Are you stingy with God when it comes to to time given to the church? Do you make excuses? Do you give what is easy? Well, God, I gave you Sunday morning. That was enough. I need the rest of the day. I need to get get some things done. I I need to... I don't have time. I I gave you Sunday. I gave you time on Sunday, God. Why do I need to give you my Wednesday? How many times have you sacrificed... How many times have you gone to visit the sick in the hospital? How many times have you helped people? Do you look to others to do it for you? Isn't that the attitude that's really gotten the church where it's at? Where we say, well, the government's got a social program for that. Let the government take care of them. We don't need to. Let them go to the other place that has experts that are ready to take care of that. I don't need to sacrifice. It isn't just about making sure that people have food in their bellies. This is your, we're talking about your personal service to God. How do you express your love to Him? How do you sacrifice for the one who sacrificed everything for you? Do you make excuses? I don't have time. I'm too busy. Who do you serve with your life? Who is your life given to? Is it in service to yourself what makes you comfortable, what makes you happy? And if you have a little bit of extra, if there's a little excess time, a little excess energy, you'll scrape a little bit off the top and give that to God and then pat yourself on the back. You did a great job. You were a religious person today. This passage hurt to read it and meditate on it during the week and think, my goodness, I live for myself. I care about me. I give very little. Look at this woman. She gave everything she had to live on. 
that might not be my calling to give away so that my children have nothing to eat. But what have I given that was a sacrifice? Brothers and sisters, don't look to dollar amounts to give you security. Don't look to the money that you're making as proof that God is pleased or displeased with you. Don't judge other people as more or less righteous based on what you see on their the outside. Don't compare personal giving to your personal giving to that of others and say, well, I'm, I'm doing better than they are, so God will be pleased with me as long as I can outspend or outgive somebody else. What are you doing before God where nobody else can see what nobody else knows about? How do you... Show your love to God. How do you sacrifice? You give, even when it's, it means that you're not going to be able to do something you had planned on doing. Those are some things not to do. Do be grateful for what you have been given. Learn in plenty or in want. As Paul said in Philippians 4, learn to be grateful, learn to be satisfied, to be content in plenty or in want. Take honest inventory of the resources that God has given to you. Look at your heart. Are you giving God just a little of the excess of your time? Just shaving off a little bit of God, just enough to make sure that that he's not breathing down your back and, and feeling convicted about it, but you're not going to give any more than that. <clears throat> Live in quiet, loving, sacrificing obedience to your king. Find in Christ your chief treasure. Find in Christ himself your chief joy. Even as we enjoy the blessings that God has given us and enjoy them in gratitude, don't find your joy in them, but in the God who gave them. This woman, she's an example of a heart filled with faith in God as her provider. And it's expressed in her generosity. This is what God gave her the ability to do, and she did it without holding back. She's not trying to sow seed money, as the prosperity preachers say, so that she might get more out of God, squeeze him for something. It's not a legalistic display in order for people to congratulate her on her religion. She is there at this place for God. Because she loves God. Is that why you're here? Is that why you come to church? Is it to please God because you have such a heart of love and devotion to Christ, the one who sacrificed for you that you are here because you must worship. And it doesn't matter if the people aren't that nice, if they say rude things to you. It doesn't matter if the pastor isn't that bright or is is just not as intellectual as you'd like him to be or he's he's not as as highly trained as you would like him to be or the pastor just just doesn't speak that well he's kind of annoying 
Are you there because you want to be served by the people at the church? Are you at the church because you want to be receive from the church? Or are you here out of devotion and love to the Savior who bought you? Take the example of this woman. This, this vivid picture of the Christian life. When no one else would notice, when no one else would care. She was devoted to her God. And her God saw what she did. He was standing right there. She sacrificed everything she had for him. And God saw when she dropped in her last two pennies for her king. Let's pray.